Hello and welcome to A New and Ancient Story. This is a podcast, a series of conversations, interviews, and occasionally speeches dedicated to the transformation of self and society. The basic idea is that we are moving from a story of separation to a new story, new for the dominant culture at least, of interbeing. What that means will become apparent as you listen to this series. We explore things like technology, spirituality, agriculture, healing, economics, politics, ecology, relationships, education. I mean, pretty much everything that is undergoing a transition today as our old story nears collapse. If you want to engage these ideas more deeply, you can come to our website, charleseisenstein.net. Charles Eisenstein here with Philip Munyaja. Is that how you say it? Yes. Yeah. From Kenya, we've met a couple times. Here we are in Portugal. And, uh, yeah, I think we met, was it four years ago or was it six years ago? Five years ago. Five years ago. Yes. Yeah. And I was very moved by your, by your project. I wouldn't, it's not really so much an eco-village, it's more of a, a permaculture training center and but it's more than that too what, what, how do you describe it well Tepic Kenya project is a community is a community based organization that is using permaculture as a way of promoting peace and stability in northwestern part of Kenya because in the setting and the region where Otepic is working um, we have many tribes communities who are really divided and, and the reason of this is because of land issues, uh, political situation, uh, water resources. Mm-hmm. So we are trying how well we can bring this community together, not only to speak about peace, but in another way to grow food, talking about how to solve water issues. And through that, many projects emerge, like exchanging local technical knowledge, exchanging seeds, mm-hmm. and this promote more friendship. And uh, through this, we we hope more to achieve on peace, stability in the region. Yes. Yeah. So you know, because in the U.S., a lot of the uh, environment and and social issues like permaculture and say homelessness issues are usually separate. You know, you have your permaculture design center and people go there for classes and training and that's in a separate category or a separate silo from uh, community organizing and peace work and things like that. Yeah, I'd like to hear about this uh, unification of environment and and social issues. Like how how is it that, maybe or maybe you could even tell me a story that, is an example of how permaculture can bring about peace. Do you, do you, do you remember any? Yeah. yeah. Actually, the, 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 the something that was a vehicle of me founding this project uh, gave me inspiration came from also the life that I lived and what I experienced, not only me, but also the people around me. Uh, living in a big family when we were struggling to find food. We could be lucky if we could have two meals a day. And uh, 
finding water was a big issue. You have to really walk long distance and, or either you have to buy the water. Also, energy for cooking, lighting, people were just using a lot of trees, cutting down trees as firewood. So there's a lot of deforestation taking place. Mm. And from this, so many people in the community were always competing to survive. And this is always bringing, from competition, always bring a lot of fights right. and a lot of conflicts. So growing up in this situation, I thought, if I ever get a chance, I will, uh, would like to work on these basic needs, food, water, energy, how people to live in and coexist in a friendly way. So, but coming from a bigger family, my parents could not afford to to take us all of us to school. We could afford only primary education, but high yeah. school it was impossible. So I also dropped out. I could not join a high school, but by good chance, I just found a priest who we used to go and repair his house while I was not in school repair in construction. And uh, he was so concerned why I'm not in school, and I explained to him because of the money issues, and he decided to support me to a high school. Mm-hmm. So out of the seven brothers, I'm, I'm the only one who went to high school. So I went to high school, I studied. And when I finished, also I managed to find a college education, and what I wanted to study about it was just the same, water and food, way and peace preservation. So I went to a local college in Kenya, and I came back to my slum where I live. So I worked with a lot of youths, I worked with women. Uh, there was always a lot of uh, youths migrating to big city. And uh, we, I was just trying to think how to unlock the potential of African young people to see what is there around and they can be able to empower themselves, to find jobs for themselves. And uh, to give them a purpose in life. And also the women, well, also from my mother I could see she was kind of a breadwinner in the family. So I believe if we, you can really empower women, it's the same as you can empower the whole community. Mm-hmm. So I decided to work with this kind of group of women and group of youths. So we worked in the slums, we created gardens, and people just started growing their own food. And uh, by good chance, there was a professor who came from US who was just visiting some project and he managed to see one of the projects that I was teaching. So we met and I showed him around and from that he gave me a scholarship to go to California to study. Mm-hmm. So going there I went to study another system of farming called biointensive, how to grow food in a small space as possible. Because living in the slum where there's no place to really do farming, we needed a, another type system where we can to be able to achieve this. So in the US I studied there but we also uh, been given stipend of 300 dollars every month so I collected that money and when I came back to Kenya I bought a small piece of land where I started showing people how this technique works mm-hmm. because in Kenya people want to see how things are working if we just talk about it people will not right up so we founded this demonstration center and we, we managed to bring more people in and uh, first it was a lot of challenge to really come from US and to come to in the slum again and uh, there's a lot of expectation from people. You're coming from the US, you come with the money, you come with the income. But what I came with was the money only to buy a piece of land and I encouraged more people to join me and to work. 
So I'm happy those people who are doubting me now, they are also working in the project and taking more leadership position in the project. So from the success of what we created in the slum, we managed also to get another offer that we go to another village to create another center there. So we created another center in another village, a center is called Amani Garden, Amani means peace. And it's a place also we develop more prototype systems like biogas, solar cooker, renewable energy technology, we grew a lot of mushrooms. And uh, it's a place also we managed to sink a borehole mm -hmm. where it's serving uh, more than 3,000 people with clean drinking water for free. So people not only come to get water only, but also come to see how how many things can they can learn and can be able to sustain themselves. But also community are the ones who are now managing the water. Mm -hmm. They organize themselves how if something breaks, they, they manage themselves. So community can come and learn and also learn how to share the resource like water, which is there. And uh, so we got many offers and we have worked now in 25 communities where people are able to come, grow food together, learn together, exchange seeds, exchange local technical knowledge. And uh, many programs have emerged, like uh, farmers to farmer exchange, or group of farmers visiting another community in a different area, where before it was perceived as a, an enemy community, but mm -hmm. now it's more like going to exchange knowledge from there. Mm -hmm. So more friendship have been developed. Also, we have another project that emerged recently, it's called Table Banking, where uh, women from another community and uh, women from another community also they came together and they meet every Friday. So each one give uh, five euros every every end of the week. Mm -hmm. So they collect all the money and they gave it to one woman. And this woman will be able to start a business. This next week, next week again, they also collect mm -hmm. the same money and give it to another. So this how women empower themselves to start small businesses and get money also to pay school fees and to uh, support their families. So uh, working in these 25 communities has been a lot of challenges also because a lot of follow-up has to be done to ensure that people are really implementing technology to offer more support on them and also to encourage that the people who participate in our training can be able also to spread this knowledge to other people. So we try to think what is the best way to do and uh, we wanted just to to create sustainable way of long term how to this knowledge can spread, and this is when we thought of training uh, people to be teachers in their own community, and that's why Otepi we managed to buy a ten hectare piece of land where now we are building a school for permaculture. Mm -hmm. So this will actually be a school for East African Permaculture Center where we want to offer more intensive program for three or six months. Not only permaculture, but also other uh, sustainable uh, social development studies where mm -hmm. people can come and learn. And uh, uh, so it will be a school for social and ecological sustainability, a place where we also want to install an African dream of, of nature, prosperity, abundance, a place where we want to teach people in these areas of food, energy, uh, sustainable community living and in future also to integrate in a, in a, in a setting of an eco-village and also a peace community where people from various tribes can come and live in this place. So it's a model that's still going on and uh, we now building a, a conference center where we can host people to sleep and, and a place for meeting 
and we are almost doing the roofing and walls and this is also why we need more support so that we can be able to finish this facility that can host more people not only in Kenya but also East African more international people who come for exchange mm-hmm. so this is my uh, big goal yes. wow yes. that's amazing <laughs> yes. yeah one thought I had about that is that the kind of work you're doing it seems to me, and maybe I'm a little ignorant, but it seems to me that it doesn't fit very well into the normal kind of international aid mentality or the normal development mentality. Because conventional development uh, normally takes for granted the desirability of progressing toward the Western model and, and says that you will be developed when everybody's going to school and working in jobs in the global economy and producing commodities for export. Um, And then the ideology says that you will move up the value chain and eventually not just produce raw materials, but, but finished goods and, and high tech stuff. You know, there's this kind of ladder of development that is proposed, except that most countries never get off the first rung. And the only thing that they ever end up doing is exporting raw materials and, and basic commodities. And that's where international lending tends to go. <laughs> and what you're doing doesn't really fit into that model. You're creating conditions where people can be self-sufficient, not as individuals, but as communities, to not be so dependent on global commodity markets not necessarily generating foreign exchange. So even though what you're doing is incredibly necessary and valuable, um, yeah, maybe I'm curious what relationship you've had, or if any, with kind of the, as they call it, the NGO industrial complex. Or, or yeah, what, what, what do you... And I guess maybe one more thing to put in there is... Oh yeah, one more thought I had that you just kind of barely alluded to, that the ethnic strife that, of course, not only in Kenya, the Western mind says, well, you know, there's tribalism in these tribes, they don't get along, and, and it kind of opens the door for more centralized authority. But the way that The picture you were painting basically is that the reason for the ethnic strife is worsening conditions or conditions of scarcity that can be economic in origin and also environmental. So if you put people in conditions of scarcity, then of course they begin, um, there's pressure to compete uh, and pressure to form hostile groups. So... The, the, the strife that invites centralized control, uh, and ultimately it comes down to the global imperialist war machine, that strife is also created by the global imperialist war machine. Not to sound too political here, but... but So this, it's this whole pattern that I see that you are... You're not, like, confronting it head-on, but it's almost like you're bypassing it 
and under the radar, creating the, the seed of an entirely new system. Yes, um, uh, I think what uh, I believe is, uh, I think Africa is not poor. Or we just uh, need to ignite that aim that we have enough resources. We have local available resources that can be able, if we look around very well and we transform it, can be able to change the life of the people. And also, uh, to be to be determined in knowing that we can be self-sufficient ourselves, because nowadays we have been uh, led to a, a position whereby we even uh, produce what we don't consume, and we consume what we don't produce, okay. just like that. So, I believe in uh, people having their own uh, food sovereignty and and uh, encouraging. Uh, community participation and this is also why a lot of corporation or politicians doesn't want they want to divide and rule and uh, I believe that when people come together and uh, if if you are able just to create a conducive environment or a platform where people can come and exchange they are able to create a unity where they can surpass all the challenges that they are facing it's only uh, getting a chance to meet and talk and be able to solve these issues. And so we believe that um, people are capable of solving their problems if they just realize the potential that they have. And this is what I talk with young people sometimes uh, and helping them to unlock their potential and uh, creating opportunities where women can also come together have uh, strength to speak in one voice and also able to take leadership position in the community to change some of the things that are happening. And yeah, sometimes I tell youths if 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 instead of if they could manage to run a gun, they they, they could be able to 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 run a company. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah, they they this is this is something I always tell them they should not sell themselves too short. Uh, they are able to take control not only of the slum but check control of the whole world and, and do something very positive that change other people's life and uh, that's why you see a lot of uh, migration or rural other migration i tell people don't think outside just think outside the box there is where the solution is. just stay there be focused look around what's there and you can be able to change uh the some of people that is what i always want to encourage I, uh, in doing my book research, I, I read some, some material about Kenya where uh, it said that Kenya was once 50% forest and now it's only maybe 5%. And he was, I'm not sure if that's accurate, if I remember it correctly, but, um, and he was comparing the uh, temperatures in forested areas compared to deforested areas. In the, in the forested areas, it might be, might be 20 degrees Celsius. In the deforested areas, it might be 40 degrees or more. So you, you talked about food sovereignty. And I'm curious also if you were doing things to um, that we call land repair, reforestation, or just healing of land that's been that's been degraded 
Is that is that part of the Otepic mission? Yeah, a lot of destruction has happened already in Kenya and uh, it's still going on at the moment. And um, a lot of logging, cutting down trees. So we need to change uh, and work very fast in order <laughs> to restore uh, the water towers that are drying, the rivers are drying completely. And uh, so Tepic has been working on how to do uh, more reforestation projects. And uh, mostly we have been working with schools and we have a program called One Tree Per Child Tree Planting Program. Because every child in the school has to plant a tree. And we have been working at the moment with three schools, which is really working well. And uh, Tepic staff also follow up to see how these trees are maintained. So the, the idea is to plant trees, but not only that's the solution, but also to try to talk with the people about the idea of using an alternative system of, of uh, using renewable energy technologies like solar boxes, solar cookers. We have biogas where also young people are trained how to make this system, portable system, easy and uh, be able to to replicate in different places and this could be able to reduce a lot of deforestation because people use a lot of firewood. Uh, so Otepic not only plant trees but also we've been trying to look into ways how to recharge the groundwater system and um, uh, so we have been living in a condition whereby uh, a lot of uh, dry spell and then you find we have only short time of rain, which is heavy. This is causing a lot of floods, a lot of, like last year, there was a lot of uh, uh, death occurred when one of the villages was swept mm. by the water from, from one of the rivers. All the village was swept, all people were killed because rain only, uh, it rained only within a short time and a lot of rain that's caused a lot of floods. And right. there's a lot of imbalances. So Otepic has been uh, using different ways on how we can slow down the movement of water, uh, spread it, make it sink and recharge the aquifer system to create a balance so that the ecosystem can be able to, to work effectively. And so far we are making many retention landscapes and ponds in different places to recharge the groundwater system. So it's another way also we are trying to balance since Otepic is also providing and drilling boreholes in the slums, mm -hmm. but also we try to combine on how to not only to drill but also to find ways how to recharge the water system. Right, because because I mean this is a pattern in many places. You drill boreholes and you have water for a while, but then they go dry and you have to drill them deeper and deeper and deeper. Yes. So so the supply side is important too. So you have water retention landscapes like like uh, ponds and swales, use swales and things like that. Yes, we, we have uh, water retention landscape, we have, uh, uh, we make also swells, we try to do a lot of things like uh, do a lot of uh, reforestation, yeah, we yeah. just try to employ many techniques, chop and drop to uh -huh. organic matter in the soil so that when the rainfall can be able to, to soak in, a, in, a, in a, the ground, the ground so that be able to accept the water and the water to avoid causing a lot of floods. Right. Yes. Yeah, so chop and drop, that's uh, Ernst Gosch. What's that guy's name? Ernst Gosch? Yeah. yeah. The Brazilian, yeah. I think he's Brazilian. Mm -hmm. Chop and drop. Do you want to describe chop and drop? 
uh, chop and drop is whereby mostly it works good on plant when you're planting leguminous trees, trees that can fix nitrogen in the soil. So it can be one advantage to fix nitrogen in the soil, but also when you want to increase a lot of organic matter in the soil and to ensure that the, the fertility of the soil is maintained, so you need a lot of biomass. The more the biomass, the more the stable the ecosystem can be in the soil. So you make, you plant uh, trees that grow very fast and then you can just chop and cut them into small pieces and then you create like a, a mulch. Right in the ground. Like very heavy pruning, basically. Heavy pruning. Yeah. So it works also better for the trees that can coppice, trees that can be able to regrow again. So mm -hmm. all of a sudden you just prune it and then you cut in small pieces. So by the time you create a large enough, large enough of, uh, of topsoil, you create it. Right. So then, and then if, if that's done widely, then when it rains, the first, the first half meter of rain is absorbed into the ground, so you don't have flooding anymore. You don't have flooding anymore, because uh, if the ground is, is is bare, or if the ground is too hot, then when it rains, it cannot be, the ground cannot be able to absorb the water, and the water will run down the, the stream, which is causing a lot of erosions, and a lot of, mm -hmm. we lose a lot of topsoil, but by creating mulch from the chop and drop, it's best thing, but also another idea could be also to plant crops very close together to create a living mulch, which also yes. is another way of of, uh, of working with the topsoil. Uh -huh. So, I mean, these these are, um, I mean, I would call them very advanced techniques that I've, I've read about, you know. How do you, okay, so a couple questions. One, a lot of these are very labor-intensive, so I'm curious about how... Uh, how do people like what's what's who who is working here? Like, like how many people and who are they and where are they from? Are they like youth from slums? Are they uh, foreign volunteers? Um, like, what's what is what is the project look like like socially? Um, and is it, am I right that it needs a lot of labor? It needs a lot of labor, and uh, it's not just work. Sometimes they say. If it's not fun, then it doesn't work. So you try as much as possible to make it as unattractive as possible, especially with Kenyan youth. Sometimes they will never like to, to work on the garden, but 80% of the people that I work with are the youth. So how to make it very interesting for them is something very important. So uh, a lot of people that we work with is to you just uh, show them how things are working. And... Uh, you give them opportunity also to try for themselves. We give, we we just tell people to to do like this. You see this system we made it without compost. Or this system we used compost. Or this one we did uh, double digging. Or this one we did single digging. Mm -hmm. Check on yourself how it works, and then at the end of the project, then somebody will just know. Wow, this is labor intensive, but then it works better. Or it can be labor intensive, and then for once only labor intensive. But then it, it will take you five years before you redo it again. Instead of mm -hmm. doing it every year, which also you destroy the the ecosystem of the soil by moving the soil all the time. So there is always advantage. We say just uh, uh, we believe in small and slow solution. It can be intensive, but uh, with uh, long term ideas. So so we try. Um, 
uh, to work with the people on our training. We demonstrate, and these are the people also who offer labor. And we have a lot of volunteers who just come want to try it. And uh, we try also to, to put with a lot of fans, like we have theater, we have our dance group. And mm -hmm. So we try to combine with many aspects of the community life. Mm -hmm. Yes, and then people come also. And also we cook for the food that we harvest in the farm. We cook together, we eat together. Sometimes they say the family that cooks together, uh, that eats together, uh, yeah. live together. So yeah. you cook the food, the people just come. And these these uh, cutting edge techniques like the um, water retention landscape, the chop and drop, these things are they? Where do you get your information from? And I mean, a lot of these things aren't something you can just read about and do it. You have to actually um, have somebody show you, and and then you have to adapt it for the unique requirements of the land that you're on. Um, where do, where do you where do you get this knowledge from? Uh, I think I'm, I found myself lucky that I learned from very good teachers that I've ever found in my my life. Yeah. And uh, I met various teachers in Kenya who they do uh, farming in connection with the local technical knowledge. I visited uh, uh, California, also another system, biotechnology, biotech, I see how the system are working there. I've also went to Austria to see the Zeppels are always making all yeah. these systems together. So not every technique works better in my place. So I'm trying to combine all this <laughs> and uh, also try to uh, connect with the, uh, the mindset of the people and the culture of the people and to see what works better. Different conditions, different soil. And uh, it's a matter of trying which one works, which is not working. So <laughs> this is also giving uh, farmers themselves to try for themselves. Yes. And you said some of the uh, like traditional knowledge in Kenya is also consistent with the things you're doing. Like, do you source from like, do you find like old farmers, like, or or people who are in remote areas who still keep old ways, or do you have that? Can you tell, tell that a little bit? Yeah, as a, as a matter of fact, we are losing a lot of our culture background, and uh, main aim of Otepic is also to revitalize our old knowledge. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we, I always give that room of wherever we have a training to give people to explain how things were done before and uh, how things are done now and how can we integrate all these things together so that it can fit. So it's not just uh, something that comes from outside, but you try to relate it to the, to the local setting. And this is also another way of, of encouraging people to practice something. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we try to revitalize the old knowledge and, and farming techniques and, and class that we do and seed, local seeds, and uh, other more sustainable solutions that we think is very important mm -hmm. for people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like thinking about these floods again, um, in a lot of places they spend hundreds of millions of dollars on civil engineering projects to to control flooding when I mean your project um, certainly is not hundreds of millions of dollars project and I'm just thinking like if we had a hundred million dollars or if we even not just the money but but the the uh, uh, that amount of human energy to put if, if if in Kenya you could for that amount of money or that amount of energy you could go to a thousand places, ten thousand places, and do what you're doing, 
and the flooding would stop, the rivers would begin to run again, um, and people would have food. I mean, it would just be an incredible shift. So do you think on that scale also, like nationally or regionally? Yeah, actually we have been thinking of creating more acupuncture points, maybe there's black spaces of hope, so that to encourage more people to do it. But also last year I was uh, trying to ask people to try to imagine where the water that they drink comes from. People don't really know. And we had to to make uh, a tour to see where the water comes from, from a certain hill. It was like a waterfall. And how is the condition there? Then we found like the water is becoming less. We tried to talk with the local people. The water was so much coming from there. Now the water is becoming less. So we have to think how to recharge the source again. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we've been trying to think how to to follow this river, the people who live around this river and the river bank, how well we can mobilize them and we can do more tree planting, uh, conserving this source. And this is also some of the biggest projects we want to identify women groups, youth groups, civil society working in these areas, how well we can recharge all this water that that is feeding a lot of people in, K- in Kitalo in my region. So I'm uh, uh, looking on going to a bigger scale and this is why we want to have more people with the knowledge to go in different places, uh, to create teachers, to be teachers in their own community so that they they can also influence other communities to do that. So we want to spread and spread this knowledge in many places. But first, we want to we want to create a prototype system which can be copied in different parts of the of the, of the regions as an example to mm-hmm. to the ecological situation. Yes, mm-hmm. I'm interested in your relationship with um, politics and corporations because um, on one level, um, what you are doing is contrary to the interests of multinational corporations. Which need dependency, not not sovereignty, and and the global financial system and the political structures that benefit from from the from that. Um, on the other hand, Otepic is something that is is doesn't easily fit into an us versus them narrative. Like you're not identified with any side. In politics or any party, um, the issues you're talking about are not, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, are not really politicized. So I'm thinking you might be able to kind of pass under the radar and make friends and alliances um, across the political spectrum. Like, I'm trying to think of an example. Yeah, like by standing outside of the issues as they are normally discussed. Then you can avoid being pigeonholed as being on one side or another of these issues. Like, like in America, for example, climate change is a very politicized issue. So, if you talk about, say, water protection from the perspective of climate change, you're going to alienate half of the people because they're like, oh, you're on the other side. But if you're talking about but if you use other language, like to preserve habitat for fish, then conservative rural voters 
will support you. So I'm just wondering, like, I mean, as your project gets bigger, you're going to have to enter into some kind of relationships with political powers. And have you been able to cultivate good relationships without having to take sides? And we don't have to talk about this if you don't want to, but... No, I'll talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, when when you deal with the with issues to do with things that serves life, definitely will uh, affect different people. Especially when you deal with topic, for example, like water. Mm-hmm. So uh, we want to create a situation whereby people have enough to drink and to share. And uh, so our aim, for example, we have, we have been creating water projects, but not forgetting politician or business people, corporation are selling water. Right. Just next door, you always find big trucks with water selling. So if we water, if we offer water for free, already there could be a crash there on the other side. And uh, it has not been easy actually to work on this level because they have money and uh, they have been trying always to not allow us to get uh, good condition in our working system. The bureaucracy have been so difficult in the beginning. We could not even get a permit to drill a borehole. Before you go to these offices, the politicians have already gone there and told these guys, come here, you should not give me a permit. At some point also, we, we also had to drill without a permit because we already uh, contracted the companies coming to drill. We thought we'd get a permit, the permit is not there. If we want to stop the company that's coming to drill, we lose a half of the money. So we drill the borehole. But then there is always uh, an issue arise. I was arrested once, and uh, and they arrested me on Friday. That means I will stay all the weekend in the prison. But through that, also I could realize the energy of the community when people were using the water. How they managed to mobilize themselves and really come and show the solidarity with me in the court process, and uh, how these people also wanted. A lot of bribes so that I can get the permit, but I didn't. But through the court process, they I was just penalized fifty dollars mm-hmm. instead of five hundred and fifty bribe that I was supposed to give. So I didn't. But it was also a big eye opener for me to be just in the prison. There it actually really changed my life and the way of looking to things because I talk with people in the prison. Yeah, a lot of young people. Mm-hmm. The weekend. Some of them, they are just saying even they don't want to come out of prison because the society actually don't want them. This is the setting. Yeah, they did something, they still regret it. Society don't want them. Their family don't want to associate with them even if they come out. Some have a lot of rage if they go out, they're going to attack somebody who made them come in. <laughs> so how can we channel this energy which they have into something constructive? Yeah. So that's when even I thought of one day to employ people in my project. But yeah, sounds I like a great recruiting recruiting <laughs> opportunity. <laughs> that was a great recruiting opportunity for me. I thought, these people, if they come out, I want to, to, to go deeper into integration program, to bring them in the project, and to work with them. on They can develop uh, uh, a biogas project or solar cookers or work in the garden. And this mm-hmm. is also having time with them in the circle, listening. 
what is really important and how much you can offer them support. And these people go out there to be teachers in, in their community again. This is a big shift. <laughs> some really works good and they change. Some still go back to the old pattern, which is okay. So we are still, I never did social social work thing or study, mm-hmm. but it's something which I'm just learning and how, just listening for me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so getting a permit has been a problem. And how about building, do you need like building permits and things for all these things you're building, like the, the conference center, the school, like all that? Yeah, so uh, since then, uh, they came to realize that Tepic is connected with many people. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we needed to drill another borehole in another community. So they realized, oh, yes, you're from Otepic. Okay, just go and drill. We'll come when we have finalized your documents. So mm-hmm. they could even give me a go-ahead and drill without a permit. Uh-huh. And also the building again is like, are you from Otepic? Oh, you just go and do it and we will process your paper. So now they are becoming more open and more right. friendly. And working because they recognize more people, but uh, sometimes I also have to be very careful. Last year we we had an election. Mm-hmm. Politician now they also they using maybe if you can't fight them, join them. The politician they come, they they show like they are with us, but we realize also they will try to use the project as a campaign mm-hmm. strategy, right? And this is something we didn't want to show that we are supporting any part. We we can create a, a place where we offer the meeting, and then we, we want them both of them to come. Both sides. Both sides. Okay. But they, if we call this kind of meeting, they don't come. The person want to come along, then we don't agree. So we always very sensitive in finding a good position how to work with them. Mm-hmm. So, but but at the moment we have a good relationship. That's good. Yes. Yeah. I'm happy to hear that. Yes. Yeah. The other day we were talking to our friend about about organization and fundraising and things like that, and he was he's very professional and and um, has clear ideas about here's what you have to do to raise funds, here's what you have to do to make yourself uh, presentable to funding organizations. And in my world, I noticed that like there are there are organizations that are very good at getting funding. They understand how to write the grant proposals. They know how to quantify their impact to, to create the reports. You know, they, they know all that stuff. They have dedicated people working just on that. And sometimes what ends up happening is that the money goes to the people who are good at getting funding. Not necessarily the money goes to the people who are doing the best work. A lot of times the people doing the very best work are people who are so busy with it that they don't have time to write funding proposals. And and they don't have time or that much interest in creating reports and quantifying the data. And in fact, sometimes the most beautiful things that they are doing are not things that are easy to quantify. But it can only be communicated by storytelling or by actually visiting the place and feeling the, the vibration and seeing the, the faces, you know, and getting a feel for it. So I think that, and especially the work that's most necessary in the world today, um, is most like that, uh, most difficult to communicate to the established philanthropic industrial complex. So what I would like to see, and I'm just saying this because there might be people listening, but 
I would like to see um, projects like yours get no strings attached funding, where it's based on an intuition and on trust. And and you know, I think that sometimes the uh, all the reports and things that they ask for are signs of incomplete trust that's systemic. So if there are yeah, so if there are, are funders listening to this, um, or people who want to use money in a way that that really creates um, or can really participate, I would say not create, but I would say that really effectively participates in positive change where it's most needed. Um, this is something I really strongly resonate with. And, and it's something that from inside the system is not so easy to find because it doesn't really play the game of, it doesn't really, we don't really play the funding game. Um, is, it, is there an easy way for people to do that? Um, and secondly, is there a strong need for funding? Yeah, thank you for looking into our situation, actually. This is something which we have been struggling with. We really have a lot of time in the field than really working the computer and really getting the right data. And um, for a typical organization, most of the support actually have been coming mostly from the friends that we have met when I was in America, mm -hmm. that I met when I've been in Europe, direct contact with people, people have visited our projects. These are the support, all the support that I get, especially come from here. I've tried to write grants, different organizations, a lot of paperwork, it doesn't come out because of our, we don't have good capacity building on that. Mm -hmm. Writing proposal and so forth. So we believe in in transparency, and I call for anybody who would like to support us in any level is much welcome. And uh, we need a lot of support at the moment. We are building this conference center, and we need a lot of support for this. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, we will be doing the roofing and the walls and the equipping of the facilities needed. And also we want to set to be a model also of the, of the house where we want to to have a, a good water system management in this building. <laughs> we want to have renewable energies in this, in this building. <laughs> so, uh, a conducive place and spaces for sharing. Yeah. Yes. So we'll, we'll 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 put a link up, maybe that people can can follow if they want to to support it financially. So we we have a, a partner in the U.S. who is able to receive checks, <laughs> and all hundred percent of the donation will be uh, transferred to Kenya. <laughs> and uh, it's Kilili Self Help Project. It's in California. All right. Yes. We'll put it. We'll put a link on. Yeah. Okay. And also, we need to do a lot of water restoration projects, so we need mm -hmm. to make a lot of retention landscape. 
to yeah. make more legs. So. I mean, this is the thing that that needs to happen everywhere in the world. Like, or maybe there's a few places that don't need water retention, but but this when we talk about climate change, really we're talking about the most damaging thing is flooding and drought. It's not that it's too hot. Um, the the of course temperature and, and rainfall are related, but really the biggest problem is the drying out of the land, desertification, and then the flooding. And so this the kind of this water retention stuff. I mean, if I if I had to say the most important thing to do for the health of the planet right now, I would say that's second most important. First most important is to stop cutting down the rainforests. Like that that's the most precious thing, but but then the other thing that we absolutely need to do is to heal the soil. So this is yeah, um and and not only the, the direct impact, but also the um impact as an example that shows that that shows what can be done even without a whole lot of resources. I mean I did some Kind of calculation for my when I was writing my book that if the world devoted even ten percent of the total military budget to land repair, then in ten years we would be in paradise. You know, it's just it's so close. The solutions are so close, and and, and you know, here you are doing it without even one percent of one percent of one percent of the military budget. Um, it's almost it almost makes me laugh. I don't know whether to laugh or cry when I see how much is possible and how close it is and yet how far away it is. Do you feel what's what's your uh, inner state of hope, despair, optimism, pessimism? What's your? Yeah. I, I think. I live this life with uh, always uh, believing in miracles. I believe in miracles and I'm always in high hopes and just open for the for everything that comes in. And I believe all the solutions are here. It's just to open for it and to to have great power of imagination of what you want to, to achieve. And it is already here. So uh, I believe this. This universe is, uh, is is rich, so it's just open to it and to believe in the power of miracle. And okay. This is who I am, and this is how things have been evolving. Sometimes I don't know how things happen, but when I look back, yeah, especially from the interviews, when I realize, oh, when did I really do this? When was this? Mm-hmm. So sometimes I even I don't know how I managed to move to this place. So it's just believing in the power of miracle and just do whatever I do uh, best. Before I can hand it to the next generation, so that's mm-hmm. my way. Yeah, yeah. Do all I just do my best. Yes, and I think that miracles are attracted to um, committed service. When when you when you have when you've received a vision and you commit yourself to that vision and say I will do do whatever it takes, then I think that God listens. The universe listens, and the things needed to perform that service come to you in ways that are unexpected. And it sounds like, 
I mean, 10 years ago, if you had tried to make a plan to come to where you are now, it would have been <laughs> impossible. Impossible, very impossible. Yeah. People, excuse me, people would have told you that, like, you're being so impractical and naive. There's no way you can do this. But here you are. Yeah, and, and things happens, and uh, I just visit places, and sometimes friends say, I can organize an evening for you where you can present your project. And uh, I go, I show up, and then uh, we find only two people show up. Mm -hmm. And I present my project, and sometimes I go, I find 200 people. I present my project, and I visit different places uh, with a specific vision of achieving. I don't get it. Then at the end, you just find one person to mm -hmm. say, this is your goal, I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, to drill your borehole. This is your goal, I'm going to buy your land for the conference center. Right. The conference center, I'm going to support part of it. So it has been a miracle always. Yeah. yeah. So I'm always open for this. It's, it's amazing how things just happen. And also, believing in that helps me. It has helped me more to relax and just to, to go with the flow of life. Right. Right. And and on a large scale, it's, we're in the same situation where if we receive this vision of what the world could be, and then someone says, okay, so what's your plan to get there? It's impossible. It's, it's, it's a complete dream. Yes. And we may also be in that situation. Maybe in 50 years, we'll look back and we'll say, wow, look at that. One miracle after another after another. Who could have thought that we would be able to come to this place? So uh, we may have one more thing, which is... Like a lot of people listening to this are young people. Um, probably most people listening to this are people without a lot of money and stuff. And what can they do to, if they're if they want to help, um, if they want to to support Otepic, is there anything that they could do? Like, do you need volunteers to go visit, or would you say, or is there a message you have for them that perhaps would help them carry the spirit of what you're doing into other places. We'll be happy to to get support and uh, and for anybody who is having time and uh, having energy is welcome to visit our project in Kenya and volunteer. We receive volunteers from November to to April every year. Mm -hmm. So we always have a lot of work to do. Just come down. We have a work party, and uh, if you have any connection with the friends who will be able to support our foundation, please uh, share information with us and uh, feel free also to contact us. Write us an email from our website, and for any donation, always there will be uh, uh, a postcard or something that we can send as a gift to you from mm -hmm. Kenya. So mm -hmm. donation will be very much appreciated. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I'm feeling that there's one more thing to say. I'm not sure what it is, but but it's again, I'll just say like maybe if if you could give a message to your younger self um, and at the same time give a message to younger people listening to this, what 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 knowledge would you like to tell that that younger self or that person? Uh I believe that everybody comes in this world with a, a purpose and all the experience that they go through 
it's always make to sharpen them and prepare them for the next challenge that's coming mm. and uh everybody has the potential is how well organized to be able to listen to your potential and to be able to know that you are able to do anything we are living in a world full of possibilities and possibilities everything mm-hmm. is possible just keeping the hope alive mm-hmm. yes yes <laughs> all right thank you <laughs> thank you thank you so much philip <laughs> thank you this has been a new and ancient story with your host charles eisenstein I offer this podcast in the spirit of the gift, by which I mean that I don't withhold premium content for a price or put up paywalls or do affiliate marketing or have advertising or anything like that. Instead, I rely on supporters like you. If you would like to support it, you can subscribe at charleseisenstein.net for a small monthly amount, or you can subscribe for free as well. Either way, you get the same content, everything's the same, and you'll be notified every time a new podcast comes out. Also on the site, you can find archived episodes along with everything else that I produce, essays, books, videos, online courses. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll be with you again next time.